Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Ha! Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. We're working our way through the final few days of February. Later in the week, we're actually going to get a chance to go inside the Penn State workout room and get a good feel for how winter workouts went. We'll hear from Chuck Losey, the director of strength and conditioning for the Nittany Lions program, breaking down some of the newcomers who made strides off the field. So we've got some things brewing this week. You'll hear from Mark Brennan and Daniel Gowan a little bit later here in the episode. My colleagues from Lions 24-7 will help me work our way through the list of 10 former Penn State players who will be out in Indianapolis Beginning today and all the way through this week for the NFL Scouting Combine, high stakes, high pressure. We've seen some big-time performances from this program before in that spotlight. Will we see it again? We'll talk about who's most likely to impress and who stands to really improve their draft stock as we're now just a couple months away from that NFL draft. But we begin this episode with a look at the new era of Big Ten football. 18 programs now involved. Perhaps that number will climb in the near future, but expansion has come to the Big Ten once again. It has made it a true coast-to-coast -coast conference at this point, and additionally, some ramifications when you talk about the 12-team college football playoff and how the Big Ten fits into that equation. To break down the conference and what we can expect to see in 2024 and beyond, we bring on board national 24-7 sports college football analyst Brad Crawford. Brad, good to get you back on the show. Thanks for having me, man. It's, it's exciting time if you're a fan of a Big Ten program or an SEC team right now. That's that's going to make up, you know, more than half of the new expanded 12-team college football playoff. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how many teams the Big Ten and SEC can, can put in that 12-team mix. We've got a fascinating situation brewing. I wanted to, to begin with this. Can you describe for our listeners out there, you obviously have your finger on the pulse of a lot of programs nationally. What life is like right now inside the Big Ten and the SEC versus what life is like out in the college football wilderness? Yeah, I think if you're a Big Ten or SEC team right now, you're dominating in recruiting. You're getting record number revenue here at the end of the year. And you're really in one of the two conferences that is seated in a great position moving forward the next three, five, even decade long in college football. I think this recent partnership, so to speak, of SEC and Big Ten between Sankey, Petiti, some other decision makers, that kind of shows me that the SEC and Big Ten are preparing to branch off if, if that's feasible. And if, if I'm in the ACC or, or Big 12 right now, the other two power leagues, along with maybe the AAC, the biggest G5 league, you know, I'm, I'm sort of checking to see what the Big Ten and 
SEC are going to do because those two leagues are always the ones that are um, progressing in the right way in this new era. And with both of the leagues expanding now, 18 teams in the Big Ten, 16 in the SEC with Texas and OU added, it's, it's hard to imagine a national championship coming outside of one of those two leagues the next five to six years. And of course, those TV rights and what they do for these programs financially and, and trickle down is such a big effect. Now, we talk about the newcomers before we get to some of the, 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 the old faithful that we know in this conference. USC and UCLA making the move from the Southern Cal. And then, of course, out in the Pacific Northwest, Washington just competed for a national title. And then Oregon, who's been a perennial contender out there, all making the move to the Big Ten. Washington's heading to Happy Valley this year. Penn State also has UCLA and U USC on the schedule. Let's talk about that group. How would you kind of power rank them? Clearly, Washington is in a much different spot than they were at the start of, of January. We all understand that. Uh, UCLA has a new head coach. USC has not reached expectations under Lincoln Riley. And then, of course, Oregon projected as one of the top teams in America next year. I was going to say Dan Lanning and Oregon are lapping those other three expansion teams in far as transfer portal and, and recruiting high school elite talent as a whole. I think Dan Lanning is on that short list of – you know, young head coaches who's going to be the first to win the next national championship. I think Brian Kelly's another one, Lincoln Riley, USC. He's probably another one. But Dan Lanning right now is best suited to sort of make that playoff, maybe even in 2024, as one of the top Big Ten finishers. I think if I'm Penn State or, or Ohio State, Michigan, one of the current Big Ten elites, um, I'm looking at Oregon as that premier title threat. USC, lost four games last season against ranked competition. That probably happens again, you know, with Miller Moss at quarterback for Lincoln Riley. I think the momentum there with the Trojans that he had two years ago when he left OU, some of that has evaporated a bit. And USC's schedule is, you know, very, very treacherous this year. Washington's sort of a wait and see for me with Jed Fish, probably an eight or nine win team. Maybe with that brutal slate, you know, maybe, maybe seven wins. But I think Washington's max level of success was – probably last season under Kalen DeBoer and Jed Fish did the right thing and left a smaller program at Arizona to, to go to Washington. There's a 2024 prognosis. When you talk about maybe four years, you know, the, the first four years in the Big Ten, which of those programs that we just mentioned making the move from the West Coast do you think has the highest ceiling within the Big Ten Conference? Yeah, I think Oregon. I think Oregon over the next uh, three to four seasons will probably make a Final Four certainly will make the playoff because in the Big Ten, if you finish runner-up or third, maybe at a nine and three, ten and two season, you're going to be in that expanded playoff, and and Oregon's going to have a chance because of just the elite talent that Lanning has acquired there. He's been able to have staff retention too, something that elite programs often struggle with. You know, Will Will Stein, his OC, one of the best play callers in college football, and oh by the way, not only did he sign this year's starting quarterback and Dylan Gabriel at OU, but he also got Dante Moore from UCLA, former five-star Chip Kelly. UCLA lost its top quarterback here ahead of the Big Ten first season. I, I think on the flip side of that question, Tyler, the team that might struggle the most is Deshaun Foster and, and UCLA. I'm, I'm sort of in a um, – you know, I don't, I don't want to talk disrespectful about the Bruins, but it might be a four and eight type five and seven year in 2024 based on that schedule, who they have to play and what they have coming back. Unless Ethan Garber is that top quarterback, unless he's a you know star player and there's a lot of talent around him, I don't I don't think there is. Foster has his work cut out for him. Part of the reason why Chip Kelly's at Ohio State now. 
Penn State gets its first taste of this West Coast expansion on October 5th when the Bruins of UCLA visit Beaver Stadium the very next Saturday. Penn State heads out to Los Angeles to take on USC. And then November 9th, Washington visits Happy Valley. They dodge a bullet, perhaps, in not facing Oregon during the regular season in 2024. But, of course, Ohio State, even as we mix things up, remains on the schedule for this upcoming year. That's been the problem for Penn State. Have not beaten them since 2016 when the Nittany Lions last won a Big Ten championship. And we have seen certainly a change in the algorithm and for what Ohio State is doing this offseason versus those in the past. Can you kind of talk us through why this has been so different for Ryan Day and the Buckeyes? Yeah, he's not a guy who tapped the transfer portal these last couple of cycles. And around Christmas time, Tyler, he didn't have a single transfer portal commit. You know, flash forward seven or eight weeks later, he has a top five portal class. He got Quinchon Judkins, rushed for almost 3,000 yards last two years at Ole Miss, top rated running back in the portal, according to our rankings and Chris Hummer. We saw him in the Peach Bowl. I mean, we, we got yeah. a good look at him not too long ago. Awesome, awesome player. Um, getting Getting Will Howard, that's – that's one of the most talented quarterback rooms Ohio State's ever had, not just Ryan Day, but in, in program history. I don't think there's a Heisman winner in that room, but it's a group where, you know, you go two or three players deep, not to mention they swipe Alabama's top signee in Julian Sayan. They got Bama's best defensive player coming back in Caleb Downs. This is a loaded roster at Ohio State. And really it, you know, puts pressure on Ryan Day that he not only has to win the Big Ten this season, but he's got to get to the playoff and win a couple of games because with with this roster, I think any elite head coach can can go 11 or 12 wins. We've talked for a long time of Ohio State running the roost in the Big Ten, but the last few years, obviously, there's been a change atop things with Michigan prevailing and not, not just the Big Ten, but ultimately winning a national title, surprising a lot of people with that. And now they have a different complexion in Ann Arbor. Jim Harbaugh's back in the NFL. He took a ton of staff with him. They've had a lot of top players move on to the NFL draft and including really their catalyst and their quarterback, J.J. McCarthy. Now the dust is seemingly settled. I don't know if it's even safe to say that about Michigan because there's so much noise around that program. But if the dust has settled now, working the way to spring ball, what do you think are the biggest question marks around this program? And what do you think you've got figured out for the positives as they've gone through a lot of transition? I think anytime you lose a multi-year starter like McCarthy, who's probably going to be a first-round pick, there's going to be a drop-off at the quarterback spot. You lose Blake Corum, a – what three-time All-Conference player, Heisman finalist? You, you know, you lose him. A couple studs on defense. You lost uh, Keon Saab to the portal to Alabama, who was going to be one of the safety starters this season. You do have Will Johnson there, probably the best cornerback returning in college football. But if I'm Sharon Moore, man, I'm really worried about that schedule. Week two, Texas comes to Ann Arbor. That's not even a Big Ten game, and you've got one of the perennial, you know, title favorites. Probably, probably going to catch a loss there and end in Michigan's nation-leading winning streak. But I think it's maybe a 9-3 type year for Michigan, which will certainly be a step back from that 15-0 and that they saw last year under Jim Harbaugh. But I think Sharon Moore was the right hire. He's a guy who's going to have them perennially, you know, knocking on that expanded playoff door, if not winning the Big Ten. But if I'm Ryan Day, if I'm James Franklin, if I'm Dan Lanning, I feel pretty good about what I'm going to see out of Michigan compared to Harbaugh because these last couple of years with Harbaugh winning three straight Big Ten championships, I don't think you're going to see more put together that kind of success in the near future. Yeah, Mercifully, 
it feels like the Big Ten West no longer exists, Brad. Yeah. And we have covered a Big Ten East team here for all these years. So we've been locked in on that side of the conference. And that's where the champion comes out of with Ohio State and before Penn State, but Ohio State, Michigan and Penn State. And you've got Michigan State has been a perennial contender at times and, and not so much of late. But on the flip side in the West, it's been hard to figure out year to year. Where are you with that cluster? I know it's not the West anymore, but the Iowa's, Wisconsin, Nebraska's, Purdue's of the world in this conference is they're now set free among everybody else and the competition increases. Do you think there's a, a member of that pack who's going to take a legitimate step forward? Or are we going to see them now that the exposures across low conference kind of get further, I don't know, further become kind of a punchline in, in conference conversations? Yeah, I, I would probably lean toward the latter. Like I, I thought Luke Fickle right now going into year two would be ahead of schedule at Wisconsin. He's clearly not. Last season did not go as planned. P.J. Flex flame is burning out at Minnesota, you could say. He might be in for a four and eight, five and seven type year. I actually think Iowa and Rutgers, maybe from, from that side of, of the conference, you know, might might be one of the two of the better teams this season. Chiano has a very easy schedule the first five or six weeks. Rutgers could really be five or six and oh, first half of the year and rank before the schedule really gets going. But um, like you said, I mean, since there's no more divisions, you look at a team like Penn State. Back back 10 years ago, the Gamecocks, South Carolina, went 11 and two, three consecutive years in the SEC East. But since that was a tough, you know, they didn't they didn't make the SC championship game. Penn State's had what four 11 win years under James Franklin, and only one Big Ten championship to show for it. So I think now with the schedule a little more balanced, that that's going to certainly benefit a team like Penn State, no longer in the quote tough side of the Big Ten, and now the expanded playoff is going to help too. But yeah, you're going to see teams from the other side of that league get exposed. Um, Iowa finally replaced its OC. Might be better, but I'm I'm not super high on Iowa. The schedule is somewhat favorable. Um, Nebraska is a team, though, that I think the win total seven and a half. That's one of my best bets. I've, I've got Nebraska eight and four or nine and three this season. They're going to be pretty good. When it comes to the Nittany Lions, you mentioned a few factors there. They've been kind of that poster child for the team left on the doorstep of yeah. the college football conversation um, over and over and over again, finishing somewhere between like number eight and number 12. It feels like on a perennial basis, just about. Do you feel like they're one of the programs when you factor in getting rid of the divisions and the locked in annual matchups against Michigan and Ohio State, although they now have certainly more of a national feel in the Big Ten, and then you factor in the 12-team playoff, are they a team that enters 2024 with maybe a breath of fresh, breath of fresh air in that regard? I'm sure there's a few across the country, but do you think they're a team that could really benefit from these significant changes? I definitely think so. I mean, you look, look at Penn State's schedule, there's a good chance the Nittany Lions finish 10-2 maybe missed a Big Ten championship game if Oregon and Ohio State go 11-1. But at 10-2, and two, Penn State's in the expanded playoff. And that's great news for Franklin because he has a, a lineup on both sides of the football that could win a couple playoff games, I think. You know, I'm, I'm looking for Drew at quarterback to take the next step. We have to see more explosive plays out of that offense. I like the move Abdul Carter going from what linebacker to edge. I think you were telling me that a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, he's an excellent player, has, has a chance to be a first-team All-American. And with some losses on that side of the ball, he's going to really have to step into that leadership role. Um, you know, he's got to be a pass rush monster for that team. And, you know, still have those two quality running backs, man, Got guys who could really challenge for dual 1,000-yard seasons if they stay healthy. So Penn State on paper certainly has that 9- or 10-win look. 
and then getting Andy, the uh, OC from Kansas, to come over. That's one of the best coordinator hires, I think, this cycle. Um, I watched a lot of Jayhawks football the last couple of years with Jalen Daniels, a quarterback, and I think he's a guy who's going to get very creative in Happy Valley. When you look at projecting, I know you, you do a great job at 24-7 Sports, not only projecting the bowls, but trying to project what the playoff field is going to look like. And 12-team expansion, it's going to make that conversation a lot more fun throughout the year, in my opinion, a lot more teams involved there. From your standpoint, is there a ceiling on how many teams the Big Ten can realistically get into this playoff? I think the ceiling would be four, and I, I would say the same as the SEC. I think you're going to see some situations where – the Big Ten and SEC are going to combine for about seven of the 12 as long as we stay at 12. Once it goes to 14, 16, man, all bets are off. Maybe 10 years from now, we're on a podcast talking about the SEC and Big Ten having its own playoff. Mm-hmm. That that sort of feels like what we're heading toward if those leagues kept expanding. But, yeah, those are the two power leagues right now. I mean, you look at our top 25 at 24-7 sports way too early. I think 13 of our top 15 – or from the Big Ten or SEC, which is just insane. Two two leagues are just lapping the competition right now. Um, Big 12 and ACC obviously bringing up the rear. But, yeah, those, those two conferences, man, for the foreseeable future, they're going to be counting national championships. That's remarkable. And I, and I know I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, but I know you're already well underway of going week by week even with some yeah. of the bigger matchups and on a lot of these schedules. And you'll have some content at 24-7 Sports about those early predictions. But if I had to ask you now, slot four Big Ten teams in order of finish into that college football playoff based on how you view this conference in February of 2024, who are those four teams and what's that order? Yeah, my, my way too early in February is I've, I've got Ohio State, number one team in the country, probably going to win the Big Ten. I've got Buckeyes 12 and 1 getting to the playoff. I've got Oregon 11 and 2 losing to Ohio State um, in the Big Ten Championship game getting to the playoff. Penn State 10 and 2 would be the third team. And then Michigan's a team that at 9 and 3, I think the Wolverines could be voted in. But you've got to get to at least 10 wins to make this expanded playoff. And that, that, that's why I've got the Big Ten putting three in this fall and the SEC putting four. And then. If there's a not that there's going to be a fifth team, but if a fifth team were to emerge and one of those four does not get in, who's your money on for that fifth Big Ten team? Yeah, Southern Cal's a team that I think will be talented enough to uh, cause some issues. And you know, USC plays Michigan, they play Washington, they play LSU in a season opener. That could be almost a playoff elimination game for Lincoln Riley or Brian Kelly out in Las Vegas. I'm looking forward to that one. And then the thing about Michigan's schedule, man, is. That week two game against Texas, Michigan could be a very good Big Ten team this season, but that's going to be another added loss. Now, if Sharon Moore, you know, surprises everybody and and beats Sark in Ann Arbor, then they've got, you know, one of those major wins in their back pocket where they could not win the Big Ten and still get to the playoff. You seem to be fortifying in some ways an argument we've heard from James Franklin. After they had their recent home-and-home with Auburn, which they swept, uh, he was directly asked, like, is this something you want to do? No. Like, he wants to avoid those kind of matchups, and he said the goal has to be winning your conference and getting to the playoffs. And and so getting to the playoffs aspect, if you pick up that third loss outside of conference, do you think we're going to see – as the, the playoff field grows, uh, maybe a trend away from some of these marquee early to mid-September matchups as teams try to keep the focus on the playoff and, and actually punching your ticket? Definitely so. I mean, we're not going to see any more, you know, Labor Day weekend, Alabama versus Florida State, because if you're Florida State, you know, what what do you have to show for that? Last year, Florida State beat LSU in Orlando to open the season, and they were told to schedule harder. They did 13-0. and it still wasn't good enough to make a 14 playoff. So 
I think it, if you're in one of these two power leagues, Big Ten and SEC, you play nine conference games. SEC is probably moving to nine next year. You play three cream puff out of conference games, and then you try to go seven and two, eight and one in conference play, and that's a shoe in to make the playoff. I'm I'm with James. I'm I'm not going to schedule a possibly national ranked West Virginia every year, and then, uh, you know, maybe taking an L there, and then having to pretty much run the table in the Big Ten. I'm I'm with him. The Big Ten schedule is brutal enough right now. You set me up perfectly for my last question for you. Penn State's home schedule begins in September with Bowling Green and Kent State before Big Ten action opens, but their season begins on the road in Morgantown against West yeah. Virginia, who had a pretty nice season last year, and their coach got off the hot seat for himself a bit. Um, what's the threat level in that one? Maybe a scale of 1 to 10, in your opinion, for Penn State. I think threat level 7 or 8. It it could potentially be a high-scoring game. Garrett Green, Mountaineer returning quarterback, he's on my long-shot Heisman list, a guy who could have 35 touchdowns if he stays healthy and finds some guys on the outside to make plays. You know, I I mentioned earlier Penn State has to find some explosiveness, and that's one of the new OC's first games, man. And, you know, early in the season, new offensive schemes don't always work out. But West Virginia's got its OC back. It's got its quarterback back. And then – um got some guys there who can make plays. So that's a game that I think Penn State will be about a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. But it's a, a worrisome matchup for sure. And I think it's a game Penn State wins. And then when West Virginia finishes 8-4, and 9-3 and three this year, it's one of those uh, you know very good resume builders for Nittany Lions. Brad, you've managed to produce some anxiety among our listeners a whole six months away from kickoff. So we appreciate that. It's always uh, always pressure here at Penn State to make that next step, and it's a big year for them. We appreciate you breaking down what the Big Ten is going to look like, how Penn State fits into it all. And, folks, if you're not following Brad Crawford with his 24-7 sports content and on Twitter and wherever have you, you're missing out. Great content all year long. Brad, happy to be a teammate with you, and thanks for coming on the podcast with us. Thanks a bunch for the invite, man. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Let's get over to a couple familiar faces now as we turn our attention toward Indianapolis. That is the home of the NFL Scouting Combine. And you're going to see 10 former Penn State players making their way there. Action is underway today. I don't, I'm not sure how much action is happening today. There's a lot of measurements, conversations. It's a long week. It's a long process. They stagger it by position. But we'll have some perspective on these Penn State guys right now. Daniel Gallon, Mark Brennan, uh, return to the podcast. How are you doing, guys? Great. Doing well. Well, it's a big week for these dudes. I mean, I talked about the anxiety that maybe Penn State fans are hearing hear, uh, hearing about the West Virginia matchup this far off. I can't imagine the anxiety that if they allow themselves to feel these 10 combine participants might be dealing with right now. Um, it is such an audition. We have seen guys make millions of dollars, lose millions of dollars in the span of, of days out in Indianapolis on an annual basis. And for these 10 Penn State football players, Mark, um, so much goes into it beyond those clips that you get a chance to see on NFL Network or whatever, where guys are running or jumping or benching or even going for positional drill work. The behind the scenes stuff and the conversations and the way they get their brains picked by NFL evaluators, decision makers over the course of this time in Indianapolis is intensive. Yeah, you know, we've, we've been fortunate that we've talked to all these guys really a lot of them before they were even at Penn State and you know I look at this crew and I don't think it's any different than the last few years it's just a, a bunch of guys who are going to carry themselves extremely well in that interview process and and I think that's key I mean you know that as you said it's great to go out there and test and, and do really well and we've seen traditionally under James Franklin uh, first under Deej and and now under uh, Losi, that these guys have tested really well. But that other side of it is, is handling those interviews and having had an opportunity to talk to to all of these guys. I think they're going to do real well for themselves. I mean, to me, you know, when I look at the interview situation, I think the guys that it's really going to impact the most. I think a guy like Johnny Dixon. You know, he kind of disappeared from the program, never made an announcement about what he was doing. I wonder if they're going to, you know, that's going to be one of the things they ask him, you know, about the way his kind of career ended. Because I don't know about you guys, but to me, that that was sort of odd. I mean, everybody else, even if they went to the bowl game and and, and, and decided not to play, you know, they were there, they were with the team. And, and so I think he's one guy who's going to have some questions to answer. And, you know, I think Theo... Uh, Johnson, listen, we know how well he handles himself, but he had that minor legal scrape here in State College a couple years ago. I'm sure that's the kind of thing that's going to come up. Knowing Theo, he knows it's coming, and I think he's going to handle it the same way he did with us, which will be you know, really well. So I think overall these guys are going to do a great job from that perspective, but those are two guys that I think you know, when, when I wonder about you know, the guys who are really going to have some questions, like what are they going to ask Olu? You know? <laughs> What's it like to be like great and smart and like you know you know what i mean i mean i, I just we'll find know. something they'll, yeah. they'll find something <laughs> yeah, they'll, ask him. but like you're not nitpicking i'm sure they're going to ask him like stupid stuff uh like a lot of these these people do you know like what's your favorite whatever but i you know in all seriousness you know some of these guys it's you know what do you what, what are they going to try to get to from from curtis jacobs you know what i mean it's like, yeah, you just carried yourself tremendously well throughout your career. So I think most of these guys, I think all of them really. I mean, I'm nitpicking uh, with with uh, with Johnny Dixon and with Theo, but I do think those are the, you know those are a couple of the small things that I think guys are going to have to kind of explain. Yeah, and and obviously Olu Fashionu is the headliner here. Continues to be projected 
often within the top 10 picks of this draft. Penn State hasn't had a, an offensive lineman go round one generally since 2007. So something special is brewing here for Olu Fashion. It was more than a year in the making because he could have been in this situation last year. And Daniel, when you talk about the all uh, the, the first team All-Big Ten accolades and the All-American accolades and the Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year, that's all great. At this point, it is nitpicking, though. It's trying to figure out, well, is he the guy you want to pick at number six or number seven overall and be the first offensive tackle? Or is he maybe the second or third offensive tackle off the board, which maybe pushes him into the teens or something like that? So in all that process, they may ask him stuff. They may ask him to go push guys around. I don't know what it's going to look like for Olu Fashionu, but he is very, very much equipped with a very high floor entering this whole process. Definitely. I mean, the, the whole point of this week in Indianapolis is to nitpick and overthink things. Uh, you, you know, I think about when James Franklin talks about the recruitment of Daquan Hardy a little bit, where they kind of got to the point where they're like, oh yeah, he's a football player. Like, we'll make it work. Um, I think that when you look at some of these NFL teams that at this point, like you are really splitting hairs between like, you know, I've, I've read about Joe Alt, the Notre Dame tackle a little bit. <clears throat> and kind of seems like you can't go wrong between him and Olu. So you know, you're trying to find those tiny little things that, that are going to make the difference in, in the pick that you make. Um, but I think this is a, I do think that Olu has solidified himself at the top of the draft, but it's just kind of, a, I, I think at this point, he's almost at the, um, you know, at the whims of the other circumstances, you know, is there, does someone need to trade up for a quarterback is there a run on wide receivers in the top 10? Do all of these other things kind of come together, um, you know, where you can get bumped down the draft board a little bit? Um, you know, I think that he was at number 12 in Daniel Jeremiah's uh, you know, 2.0 big board earlier today. Um, I read through a conference call with Daniel Jeremiah last week um, where there were a couple questions about Olu and the offensive tackle class. And you know, he's very high on Olu, but it's also a strong class. So when you have these different flavors, you – you look at uh, you know these NFL teams, and it kind of comes down to what they're looking for, uh, what they need. But I, I just think entering this process, Olu just has a, a very, very high floor. Um, I, it's going to be really interesting to see what some of the the buzzes that comes out of Indianapolis, what some of the numbers are, um, you know, through through testing and, and measurements, all that when when all is said and done. Uh, and but with Olu, I mean, he doesn't really get started uh, with a lot of the stuff until much later in the week, so. There's going to be a, a lot of anticipation built up through next weekend for for what he can do. Uh, he's also the William V. Campbell Trophy finalist for the academic Heisman. There's so much to like about what he was able to accomplish at Penn State. And when we look ahead to the draft, as you said, there's variables. Could you see three or four quarterbacks go in the top 12? Could you see three quarterbacks go at the top of this draft? And what does that mean for other positions? Uh, something to follow there. Um, when we look across the board and, and kind of who's going to uh, – in, the, in recent years, I think that the only guy that comes to mind has been as secure as Olu seems to be with his draft stock was probably Saquon Barkley uh, following the 2017 season during the 2018 draft lead up. Because thinking about some of the other first round picks or first round prospects out of Penn State during that same span, and you think about Micah Parsons, well, there were questions there. He didn't play football the year before. Uh, Odafe away. He didn't have a sack the year before. Both of them ended up being first round picks, but there were questions there. Um, you know, even with Jahan Dotson, how much would the rest of the wide receiver class 
impact his standing? Would he be a first round pick? That was still kind of to be determined. And right now, Olu Fashion, who a slam dunk, it seems to end up in the, in the top half of the first round. I've seen quite a few projections of him going to, to protect Aaron Rodgers with the New York Jets, which would be an interesting fit. But the name that you see kind of had the most, I guess, very uh, variation, a variance is the word I'm looking for, is, is Chop Robinson. I've seen him going in the teens. I've seen him going, you know, in, in the 40s and mid second round. And there seems to be a belief, and Bruce Feldman put him on his freaks list for the upcoming combine. And he actually led that list that he's going to go out and maybe be the next Penn State player to go blow up the combine with the way they test. You look at the production last year, factoring in that he missed almost three full games because of the Ohio State game injury, but the production certainly wasn't. For, you, you don't see that and say this guy's an obvious first round talent, but then you remember the way he influenced games, impacted games, first team pick by coaches, first uh, first team pick by uh, media members within this conference as well. A lot of respect within that building. So, Mark, how do you wrap your head around where Chop Robinson is in your mind as an NFL draft prospect? I think there's also an element to this is what position does he lock into at the next level because he was a linebacker, high school prospect largely played a hybrid position at Maryland and sunk his teeth in the defensive end spot and found some success here at Penn State, but yet he's not going to be a 275-pound player. Yeah, Feldman, I think, has a pretty good source on that Chop Robinson stuff. I, I would guess that he's he's kind of plugged in with somebody who uh, has seen all of Chop's testing numbers. It's weird because I went back and yeah, we were able to uncover a bunch of testing numbers, but Chop is one guy that I haven't been able to find that 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 we were able to dig stuff up on. So I think this is going to be big for Chop in terms – he's one of the guys that I think can really, really help himself. If Feldman's projecting him, him as a freak, he is going to go out and test well. I, I, I truly believe that, unless he's banged up or sick or something else. So I think that's going to be really important for him for the very reason you say. I mean – on the NFL site now, they have him listed at 6'3", 255. You know, not huge, but if he goes out there and runs one of those sub four fives, that's going to say, listen, this is a guy who has enough speed to play, you know, defensive end. He can drop into coverage. He can he can fit with different types of schemes. He's not just a, a, a four three outside line or a, a rush end. So I think that's going to be the key is to test well number one, and to show his versatility that he is able to drop back and, and, and do some things because that's what they're asking of, of a lot of these DNs kind of slash edge guys anymore. Yeah, and, and just to get to some of those numbers from Feldman who, who wrote this for The Athletic uh, on Sunday, we had we had a bit of a story up on it at Lions 24-7, but uh, Robinson clocked a 4-4-7 40-yard dash last year, according to Feldman. His 4-2-2 shuttle is nearly uh, two tenth seconds slower than or faster than what Micah Parsons did in the combine a few years back. And let's remember, we never saw Micah Parsons as a true, uh, you know, rush end, uh, edge rusher here at Penn State. We saw him at linebacker. We thought we might get to see a lot more of that as a junior. He didn't have a junior season. So with Chop Robinson, there's more of a sample size to go off there. Both of them former five star prospects. I thought it was interesting that Feldman was so quick to bring up Micah Parsons in discussing uh, Chop Robinson and his draft potential. And then just one to quickly go back because Olu Fashion, who probably should be no surprise, also made that freaks list. There were 40 total names on it. And, and the nugget that Feldman provided there is that uh, Fashion, who, uh last year ran a 4.97 in the 40 and a 4.63 in the shuttle time. If he does that 40 time again, uh, it would have tied for the best last year among offensive linemen. So when you've got a guy who's already that well thought of as a polished 
blindside protector and you start to stack on freak level attributes physically, not going to hurt Olu in any way. Um, do you anything to, to add on, on yeah. the freak freak note there for either of you? Yeah, yeah. I was I was actually wrong. We did have a number on chop. So it was four four seven. And yeah. which ironically, not ironically, but you know, th this is where your eye kind of pops on this is he ran the same time uh last year as Johnny Dixon. I mean, so you're you're looking at a pretty well regarded. That's not a knock on Johnny Dixon, by the way. That's just telling you when you talk about freaks, uh, that's how fast uh, that guy is. So yeah, I was wrong about that. When you mentioned that Feldman had that number or his the numbers, uh, it kind of jogged my memory, and I and I recalled. I didn't have it on my notes here though. Yeah, I think uh, when when you look at the freaks list, I mean, one of my favorite parts about draft season uh, is going to mockdraftable.com after they get all the combine data and they load it into the spider charts and you have all the data in their database that you can compare it against uh, in terms of the percentiles, what the averages are, everything. And it, it gives you kind of a, a really nice, uh, you know, a little really nice look into how these guys stack up. Um, you know, I'm a sucker for when it comes to draft season for like the big athletic projections so when you open up that spider chart and you see a bunch of numbers in the 90s and just a lot of color on the screen, um, you know, it kind of you know, really gets you going into the type of prospects these can be. But, you know, I just kind of enjoy seeing you know, where you know, kind of where things line up with our eye tests over the course of the year, how it stacks up with the rest of college football, which I know we all try to watch a lot, but, you know, we probably don't watch as as much compared to other people, uh, given what we're spending our Saturdays doing. Um, so it's just kind of nice to have these different reference points and you know, kind of seeing how these guys fit in historically uh, to other prospects that have, have gone on to the NFL before them. And while uh, Olu and uh, and Chop, you know, they didn't play in the bowl game, they didn't participate in, in postseason all-star showcase event, um, and, and oftentimes you do see guys who kind of had that first ground ground grade already, not necessarily involved with with some of those. But this will be a chance for them to build off of that. And, and Adiza Isaac, though, has already been building and building and building on his draft stock. Daniel, he's a guy who went out to the Senior Bowl and really lit it up. I mean, whether it was one on one work or some of the scrimmage action. Our, our social media feeds were filled with examples of various reporters serving up accolades and saying that he was largely unblockable out there in Mobile. And now he continues to really consistently pop up as a day two projection. When you look at draft picks, I've seen him in the second round quite a bit. And we're talking about a player who lost what was expected to be a breakout year for him in 2021 to a torn Achilles Came back last year, admittedly wasn't the player he wanted to be until late in the season. And then we, I'm sorry, came back in 2022 and admittedly wasn't the player he wanted to be until late in that season. He decided to invest another year in himself in Happy Valley. Ends up by far leading the team in sacks, tackles for loss. In my opinion, he was a defensive MVP because of the consistency with which he played that position. And now he here has another kind of opportunity uh, among the best of his peers. And I, I'm just really curious to see how much more that he can elbow his way up that ladder at what looks like a very quality position and chop Robinson trying to do it too off the edge. This is a highly valued position where you're going to see a lot of players go off the board in the first 50 to 60 picks. And Adiza Isaac seems to be really putting himself in that discussion firmly. Big week for Adisa Isaac in Indianapolis. I, I don't think there's really any way around it. Mark touched on it earlier where you know that he's one of the guys in this group that's going to interview well. Um, I think that, his honesty that he showed with us, if he, in terms of talking about injuries and things like that, you know, if he brings that into the interview room with the NFL teams, I think that will serve him well. 
uh, to give a, a good look into who he is as a person. Um, and, you know, in addition to, you know, probably answering some questions that teams might have about his health. Um, I think that this is a good chance for him to, to really double down on things because you go to the senior bowl and you get the chance to audition. You get the chance to meet with teams. They see you in a, a real game time environment. This is where you kind of strap on the spandex and you know, show what you can do from a, a pure numbers perspective. Um, and I'm really curious to see what what his numbers look like um, you know, after kind of going through the season, doing this uh, combine prep, you know, where he is in the draft training. But I, I think that he's someone that I think is really lining up to be a, a solid player at the next level. Um, he was one of the guys this year where it just felt like every single game, you know, you looked up and he was doing something um, and he kind of he was able to finish some plays. I know that there's a lot that goes into you know, flipping some of those quarterback hurries and the sacks, you know, Chop Robinson season could look uh, a little bit different if quarterbacks hang on to the ball you know, a fraction of the second longer, um, you know, on, on some of those plays that he had. But I, I just think Adisa Isaac going out to Indianapolis this week is, is going to have the chance to really kind of assert himself, uh, you know, not just among the NFL uh, you know, coaches and evaluators and scouts, but I think among the kind of the evaluating like the draft industrial complex at large, I think that he's someone who probably isn't as known um, just because, you know, he had that one year where he was behind the scenes and he's quieter earlier in his career. And, you know, I think in 2022, he was good, but it was not kind of a, a breakout year, but I think this this will be the chance for him to really get on a lot of people's radars and it'll become familiar for people, you know, maybe outside of these NFL circles a little bit. A team captain, and as those who have followed his career and, and, and hopefully our coverage at Lions 24-7, a guy who's who's representing a lot on behalf of his family and uh and, yeah. and, and trying to achieve his dreams. And it's I mean, everybody has someone and there has they have their why. He's got a few of them within his immediate family. It's been a really special story to follow. And I think if he goes out there and he runs in the four six range, heck, even the high four five range, there's no way he's falling to the third round. I, I think I think if, if he goes out there and and kind of marries up some really impressive physical testing numbers with what he has done already on a football field, not just at Penn State, but in the postseason all-star showcase event like that, it's going to really be uh, kind of the recipe for success come uh, day two of that NFL draft. And then who knows, maybe maybe even enough buzz gets going where he starts to get talked about as a late first round guy. I don't want to put it there just yet, but you're right. The the draft industrial complex, as Daniel calls it, does some wild stuff. And we saw it work well for, for Adiza coming out of that senior bowl. Um, wasn't as good of a senior bowl experience for Kalen King. He was a guy that, that uh, on the flip side, it felt like often when you were watching some of those highlights and that he was involved in from the practices down in Mobile, that he was on the wrong end of those highlights. And it's hard to look really good in one-on-one -on -one cornerback versus wide receiver highlights often, especially if you got the quarterback throwing good balls. But it wasn't the week that that I think Kalen King was looking for as, as, as one of those first ever non-seniors to be competing at the senior bowl. He was out there. You had Johnny Dixon out there. But, Mark, before we get to Dixon, who you covered a bit, a bit, there was a time that we thought we'd be leading off any conversation about the draft, maybe with Olu, but kind of 1B would be Kalen King. That was the outlook he told us himself, I think, last February, last January, yep. that he fully expected to be a first-round pick in the NFL. Now you've got guys, uh, I think Daniel Jeremiah just put it out there on, on a conference call that he could see Kalen King maybe falling, maybe being in danger of being a D-Day 2 pick. And that is insane to hear right now. But 
he pointed to the Ohio State game and how that's going to be the first impression for a yeah. lot of scouts and said it wasn't necessarily the season to build on for Kalen King after a really strong sophomore campaign. So uh, while it seems to be trending very positively for Adiza Isaac, unfortunately, Kalen King, who, as we know, opted out of the bowl matchup, uh, it, it's going the opposite end uh, for him thus far in the draft process. Yeah, it's a big week for him. I mean, uh, we have his best 40 at Penn State as 446, which is representative. I mean, that's, that, that's not tremendous. I mean, it's not Daquan Hardy-ish. Uh, but I don't think you have to be – I think he needs to be in that area or or, or better. I mean, I just think pu- putting up good shuttles, all those types of things are big. And then uh, going through the drills. I mean, all the all those uh, footwork and, 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 and all those different DB drills that they do are going to be really big for him. Uh, because as you said, you know, I think we were all looking at this season, uh, as one where, you know, he was going to just firm himself up as a first round draft pick after all we had seen throughout his career. And then he gets into that Ohio state game. And I mean, you know, it's going to be happening is, you know, every one of Marvin Harrison jr's clips, you know, every time they show his highlights, you know, Kalen King ends up being in there somewhere and that leaves a lasting impression. So I think he's got to go out there and test really well. And then you know, the other thing I did want to mention is that it's this is so odd that so many uh, Penn State guys are are at the combine. And, you know, we've seen in the past where guys have gone out and tested well there and and not really done much at pro day. And I think th- I think he's the kind of guy who should just do it at both, you know, Go out to the combine. I don't care what you run. I don't care what you do. I mean, you, you want to do really well, but then come back and prove it again at pro day. I mean, if you want to force, try to fight your way back up to where you once were, then for the record, I think pro day, they're going to have it on March 15th. It's a Friday. Uh, you know, he may have a couple uh, bites at the apple here. I mean, he may have a couple of opportunities to do it, and I think he should take every chance he gets. Same goes, I'd imagine, for Johnny Dixon. And pro day is an important one. That's just a few weeks away, as Mark said. That's typically draws representatives from every single NFL franchise to campus and whether it's GMs, head coaches, we've seen them before as well. Uh, but Dixon is somebody that, that I mean, it is a great point that the way it ended for him, there was really no closure to his career, Daniel, uh, with Penn State, which is kind of unfortunate because his emergence since his transfer from South Carolina as a featured member of this defense, one of the most elite defenses in the nation last year was really a heck of a storyline. And his versatility stood out back-to-back years, leading all FBS cornerbacks in sacks. He had four and a half of those this past season. Um, and, and obviously got that with, with three seasons in Happy Valley is kind of laid out a blueprint for, for what you want to get done. You want to find that maybe an ascending figure uh, hitting the transfer portal has some experience at the power five level as he did with South Carolina. Remember he started some games, I believe as a, as a, as a freshman down there and then works his way here and you, you get him on that upward trajectory and you build him and you build him. And by the end of it, he's not leaving the field on this defense. And yet, you know, we're working our way through this list and he's somebody who had some, some medical ailments for himself at the senior bowl. So he wasn't able to maximize that opportunity. We haven't seen him out in game action since November and it just feels like it's a little bit of a of a, a rudderless process right now, as far as I can tell. I know he, he's got great representation. He announced that he's with Rock Nation, but it, it's a little hard outside looking in to gauge what exactly is going on for Giant Dixon because he's not landing on a lot of these three-round mock drafts. And I thought maybe last November, last October, that Johnny Dixon, I think Terry Smith talked to us about this before, had really played himself up NFL draft boards and kind of trying to figure out the disconnect right now, I suppose, for myself. 
Yeah, I think Dixon has a really big week. Uh, you talked about his, his medical issues at the Senior Bowl, um, which I forget exactly where that happened during the week, but I believe it probably took away the chance from him to, to get some more reps in down there uh, to showcase himself a little bit more. So this is just a, a really big chance for him to, to go out there and you know for teams to talk to him, get a really up-close look at him. I mean, I think that he can be a, a really interesting piece uh, for an, an NFL team. I mean, He's got the ability to play inside and outside. Um, you know, he did some nice things playing in the box and in run support and rushing the quarterback like the numbers show. So uh, it'll be really curious to see you know, how he tests, what kind of concrete numbers we get um, out of him. I know Mark mentioned that he ran the, the same time as Chop Robinson, which, you know, that time isn't isn't a bad one. I mean, it's just that's more about chop than, than Johnny Dixon. Um, so we'll see. Um, I mean, I think one thing that I was really interested in when he measured in at the senior bowl was I looked at his measurements and he came in below average uh, for cornerbacks in terms of arm length and wingspan, um, you know, from the, the mock draftable data set, which was something that I was a little bit surprised by. Um, and I know that we talked so much about like John about Joey Porter Jr.'s arms uh, a, a year ago at this time. And now we're kind, kind of seeing the inverse. And you know, I know that to some people that might not be you know a big deal, like, oh, this guy's arms are like a little shorter, below average. Well, he can play. I mean, but some of these NFL teams, they have things so locked in in terms of what exactly they're looking for at each position in terms of in terms of the measurements uh, and these times and, and different things where, you know, if you're not this kind of template of player, they're, they're not going to look at you. So I think all of this is important. Um, I mean, similar things happen in recruiting too, where you know, we know kind of what Penn state is looking for at different positions on the recruiting trail. Um, so I'm curious to see what this means um, for Johnny Dixon. And, and one last thing on, on Kalen King, you know, Tyler mentioned, Daniel Jeremiah talking about him on a conference call last week. Um, and Jeremiah said that, let's see, that the grade that he has on him puts him in the fourth round range. Um, so that would be early on day three, which I think would be a, a surprise for all of us. So I'm, I'm curious to see what this looks like for Kalen King, how big of a week this is for him. I wonder, if guys, if, if both of those guys aren't kicking themselves a little bit for not playing in the bowl. You know, you, you're playing against a team that could chuck it and throw it around, and you would have had one more opportunity to to show yourself. We were getting the sense, even at that point, that Kalen might not be or probably wasn't going to be a first round pick. And you know, I I, I get it with Olu. You know, I I get it with uh, with, with Chop. Uh, you know, maybe Caden Wallace to or Caden, yeah, to 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 a different extent. But for those guys, I think you know, do you look back at that as an opportunity that you lost? Uh, to to show one more time what you're able to do, you know, I I, just, I really I typically don't really care if guys make that decision, and they had to do what they thought was best for themselves. But hindsight being 2020, I think both of them could have helped themselves by playing in that game. No defender for the Nittany Lions that day, perhaps no player. I could double check that played more reps in the Peach Bowl than Daquan Hardy, who finished out his career, uh, did not pick up the COVID eligibility, decided to go pursue a professional uh, career in football. And and while he was on campus, he went from about 160 pounds soaking wet to just about 180 pounds. He's still 5'9". That's not going to change. That's going to be viewed as it will be by NFL evaluators moving forward. But this is a guy who really really helped his case 
by putting on film what he did as a punt returner and ended up being an all Big Ten uh, specialist over the course of the year. Was also an all Big Ten 13 pick at cornerback. And I heard from Alan Zemitis back on signing day in discussing Daquan Hardy, Daniel. He said he has a PhD in the cornerback position because of what he's been able to do in that slot coverage role. And I just think about it. Penn State coaches had their doubts about Daquan Hardy, and they lingered pretty deep near signing day. He almost ended up signing with Buffalo. Penn State puts in that late puts in that late offer. They end up with him. Whether it's the team that picks up the phone after round seven and makes the best pitch to him, or the team that says we're going to draft this kid, even if he's five nine or whatever, this is just a situation where we could see it repeat itself, and you get kind of a core member of what you want to accomplish on special teams at the very least, and maybe a core component of your roster for at least a few years from a guy that many franchises I bet are going to overlook through the course of this process. Yeah. I, I think Daquan Hardy is, it's kind of a, a similar position to where he was coming out of high school, where he's just a really good football player. Um, and I think that he really built on that during his time at Penn state. Um, I, I think that the ability that he had to play on the outside this year, I mean, that's something that, I don't think an NFL team is going to ask him to do um, at least not full time, but the fact that he has that in his back pocket and he has that experience, um, I think is something that can only help him. I mean, I, I think that he's shown that he can play the slot. Well, you know, we, we know that he's tough. Um, we've seen him rush the quarterback. We've seen him make plays behind the line of scrimmage against running backs. Uh, we know he's fast. Um, we saw those numbers from uh, when he was out at the trying bowl, um, and I'll have more from Eric Galco, who's the, uh, I think, you know, director of personnel at the Shrine Bowl, um, a Q&A uh, later this week on Lions 24-7 about Hardy and the other guys who are out there. And he had really good things to say about you know, what Hardy did, what he showed, and kind of how he can fit at the next level. I think the one thing with, with Hardy that I'm most excited to see from him at the Combine is how fast he runs. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I remember we were at the Thon Explorers program last year and he was walking around with a Thon family and he made sure to point out where he was on the leaderboard. Uh, and then we know that he and Elliot Washington, uh, I, I believe, raced for the title of the fastest guy on the team and that Hardy won. So uh, it's, it's going to be, I think, really cool to see what he's able to do. Um, I think you know, we've talked about it so much, the, the having the punt return ability i think really really helps him you know he also had experience as a gunner uh, on punt coverage we know he was on kick coverage um i think that he is someone of the kind of non top three round guys that penn state has going into this draft i think that hardy might be the one who has kind of the most clear path to a roster spot because he can do so many different things um yeah mark just put it in our chat for for hardy four three two Yep. That's some wheels. Um, so it, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see what what Hardy can do and and how he projects uh, to the NFL and just how NFL teams view him. A couple other guys to get to here, and 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 as we work our way through this list, we're certainly now we're out of the territory of of being able to peg these guys into like a certain round or a certain day, and, and there's a big big range of where they could land. But Curtis Jacobs played a ton of football for Penn State three years as a starter. Uh, two of them at different positions. He played the Will. He played the Sam. He's a guy who uh, was all over the field in high school. Penn State loved him for it and ultimately really grew up as a linebacker and as a member of this locker room, a former five-star player. And, Mark, we have kind of had opportunities to say this in the past, but it felt like Curtis Jacobs, despite that five-star history, 
was one of the more unheralded members of this defensive unit the last couple of years, despite the fact that he was you know, playing just about as many snaps as anybody else for much of the time. Um, and he's somebody that you, know, you, you saw the footage. I think it was the Shrine Bowl that he was at. You know, say, you know, say, talk to a Giants coach and saying, oh, Giants are one of my favorite teams. This guy's going to make friends all over the place in Indianapolis. Oh. This is what Curtis Jacobs does. Um, he gives us hugs. This is, this is a commendable person. He is somebody, though, I just don't know where they're going to fit in the whole concept of the draft plans because the linebacker position has been devalued in some ways, especially for guys who aren't really show, proving themselves to be high-level uh, pass rushers. And I just wonder what happens for Curtis Jacobs, who did flash a bit as a rush player, but never really crossed that line and became a game wrecker at Penn State, but certainly you know, very consistent, very accountable. I'm just not sure what it means for the other side uh, come NFL time. Yeah, his best 40 at Penn State was 4-4-6, but he was teasing us down at the bowl game. Do you remember that that he's he thinks he has something special uh, coming in the 40-yard dash? So, uh, you know, along with Daquan Hardy, I'll have my popcorn for for that because I think he's going to he's going to vie for the for the fastest 40 at the at the combine. I will bet. I mean, if all he's doing is preparing for the combine at this point, Daquan, I'm talking about. I, I can't wait to see how fast he runs. But along with Curtis Jacobs, I think it's important for him to test very well for, for the reasons you say. I think the other thing we have to keep in mind about Curtis Jacobs is, to me, it's not when he gets picked. It's, you know, do you get the right fit? Because I think if he gets on the right team, he's a guy who could who could be in the league for for five or ten years just because he. I think he can play all over the, all the different linebacker spots. And I think he could be a core special teams guy for you. I think he's the kind of guy that could be on every coverage team. You know, he'll do whatever you ask him to do. So I think, you know, getting that foot in the door is going to be important. And this is a big week for – this is obviously a big week for him too to go out and test really well because those are the little the things that will, will, will kind of set him apart uh, maybe from other linebackers. But you're right. He's going to interview really well, and I just think his versatility is going to be a big bonus for him. I think downfield coverage, maybe getting the opportunity to show some of that, uh, you know, and, and excel in it, perhaps uh, out there in, in Indianapolis could really be something. I, I know when when he was playing that that, that Sam role, he, he liked to consider himself as a linebacker who has safety skills. And there was a long time where you know, he was a safety at the high school level and did a damn good job of it. Uh, but when you get to the NFL, just everyone is so fast. So we'll see how Curtis Jacobs fits in with some of those peers. Uh, a bit of a long log jam, it seems, at linebacker on the draft board probably shakes a little bit clear uh, coming out of the combine, and then he can build off of that on pro day as well. Theo Johnson somebody that we have said, I feel like since he showed up to the campus, once he gets a chance to enter the draft process, he is going to climb the boards. And guess what? He went out to the Senior Bowl and he climbed the boards. Or uh, I think it was the Senior Bowl. Uh, mm-hmm. It might have been the Shrine. It was Senior Bowl. Senior Thank you, Bowl. Daniel. Um, he goes out there. It looks like one of the best tight ends in attendance. Uh, he's a guy who's always moved quite effortlessly at his size. And remember last year, he's pushing 270 pounds. You could confuse him as an offensive tackle, perhaps, out there at times. And he's somebody that had seven touchdowns last season. Most of those, I think all of them actually came after the bye week. He had another one of those second half seasons like he did in 2022. The production is there. He's somebody who's certainly inve- invested and improved as a downfield blocker and run support guy and we know he was a team captain mark you mentioned he had uh, an off-field issue to clear up last year it ultimately didn't prevent him from playing uh, with penn state throughout the course of the, of the season and he was still a team captain 
He's a guy that I think is going to kill it in the interviews. And this is a wide open tight end class. I think that's probably the most important factor here. You work your way past Brock Bowers at the top of the board out of Georgia. People think he's going to be off the board you know, by midway of the first round. And then there's a lot of conversation on who's next, whether it's a second, third, fourth, or fifth tight end. Theo Johnson has a lot of people buying him now as a top five tight end in this class. We've seen long gaps in when tight ends actually get picked in the draft sometimes. I don't think there was a, a, a tight end at all picked a, a couple of years ago until like pick 45. So maybe it goes Bowers and then a major gap before you get to anybody else. But I think Theo Johnson is going to be in the conversation to be the next man up because I have full confidence that when he gets in, you know, in the shorts and the T-shirt and the compression and all that stuff, he is going to turn heads in Indianapolis. There is very little doubt about it. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to see what Theo Johnson can do out there. Um, you know, Daniel Jeremiah said that he'll be one of the three or four, uh, you know, top tight ends there. Um, you know, big catch radius. Uh, he likes the toughness, like how physical he is. Um, also, as an aside, in that conference call last week, um, Daniel Jeremiah also brought up Tyler Warren um, off topic, just said that he's a, a really good player. Um, he didn't know his name yet. But he was really excited to to look Hopefully at him. That uh, I saw yeah. a guy on film <laughs> next season. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that you know, we saw what Theo Johnson has been able to do. Um, you know, these past couple of years, he's kind of in that that former wide receiver uh, in high school, and you know the the physical development that he had to do to become a tight end. Um, it seemed like the the blocking was always kind of a a work in progress with him, but we know that he's a big body. We know how tough he was. Um, and I think that he was also willing, which I think for some of these guys, you know, making that jump to college and making the move from wide receiver to tight end can be half the battle sometimes. Um, so I, I think Theo Johnson can can do some really good things out there. Um, going to interview well, going to represent himself and, and Penn State well. Um, and then I think that he'll be one of those guys where, um, you know, from, I don't know, like maybe pick 40 through pick 60 like that entire second night it'll probably be a, a situation like with Brenton strange last year where we're just kind of waiting and we know it could happen uh at any time yeah with the last three guys who started at tight end for penn state when the draft went in round two at the tight end position mike Gesicki, pat fryermuth Brenton strange i could see that happening again here with theo johnson and then tyler warren we'll see what, what he can do next spring but a heck of a run at tight end theo johnson expected to continue that and he'll have a big week and just a reminder almost 270 pounds. He had some devastating blocks over the course of his last year on campus, but you go back to 2022 when he really had his offensive breakout, he averaged about 16 and a half yards per catch. So there's a vertical element to his game that some other tight ends lack that I think could really help him out as, as these uh, coaches, GMs, et cetera, try to figure out what to do with this tight end board. We got to finish with a couple offensive linemen, the first of which you heard from on this podcast in January as he was getting ready for, for his big uh, draft process and Caden Wallace and probably no one on this list changed the narrative around their draft focus in a positive way like Caden Wallace did last year at this time. Uh, folks were wondering uh, if he was going to be a problem for Penn State's offense. If he's going to be a weak link for the offensive line. He ends up playing at all-conference quality level. I don't think he was actually selected as an All-Big Ten player, but he played at that kind of consistency. And then he went out in the Shrine Bowl, and not only did he show he could do on the perimeter and some of that work, it, it, playing tackle as we've seen him play his entire career here, but there have been people on our message boards screaming at the top of their lungs since 2020 that he needs to be playing guard. And he started at guard in the Shrine Bowl, and it went pretty well. He was actually directly next to his former center, Hunter Norzad, there for that matchup. And, Mark, this is a guy that you love to see it. 
work its way out. He put in the time. He he rode the roller coaster, and he really invested in himself, as did Phil Troutwine and this staff. But to come out of it as a four-year starter, clearly playing far and away his best football, finished with the first half of action in the Peach Bowl. He's an ascending figure, and he certainly helped himself at the Shrine Bowl, I think. And, and that ability, and you've mentioned it in the past with Ryan Bates and other guys who have stuck in the league, when you can be someone who can go out there and be a legitimate option on the perimeter or inside, teams don't keep 10 to 12 offensive linemen. It is a small number in the NFL, and that versatility can get you a roster spot when cuts come in late August, or they can get you drafted come April. Yeah, we've been saying for years about Caden Wallace that he has all of the physical tools. He was just getting in his own way. It was like he was overthinking things. As you said, you had him on the pod and – I mean, just a super smart guy. I mean, carries himself really well. So it wasn't anything about a lack of uh, of intelligence by by any stretch. I mean, super smart dude, but he just seemed to be overthinking everything. And I think he just let things come to him to come to him a little bit more uh, this past season. But one of the reasons we were always talking about him is because he tested like ridiculously well. His top forty at Penn State was sub five. I mean. You know, that was earlier in his career, but still, I mean, that's just unbelievable for somebody that size. And then you look at his, he had a 31-inch vertical leap. I mean, again, for for a 6'4", 300-pounder, you know, that's impressive stuff. So he, I think, is another guy who can go out there and test really well and and do well for himself because we know he's going to interview very well. And then it comes down to how does he handle himself through all the drills, through all the footwork, through all those things where they're diving on the ground and getting up and moving and going through bags and whatnot. Uh, but I have a feeling that he's going to be somebody who does really well and you're going to see his stock rise even more as he comes out of it. Caden indicated some optimism to us that he felt like his career arc would actually help him because he's shown that he is somebody who is malleable and, and self-aware about some of their maybe negative tendencies and is willing to already invest in fixing them. Whereas, whereas some of these teams bring in tackles who've never kind of had the hiccup in their careers and all of a sudden the NFL hits and it's a big change. And, and how do they handle that there? Caden uh, Wallace, oh yeah, we'll see if we're, what, what it works out for him in Indianapolis. And Hunter Norzad is another guy. Daniel, who was out at the Shrine Bowl, as I mentioned, he, he got the start for, for the East squad at center next to Caden Wallace at right guard. And Norzad, I talked about maybe uh, Curtis Jacobs being an unheralded member of the uh, defense. I mean, Norzad, for what he became for this offense in 2023, a second-team all-conference selection at the center position after you lost a second-round NFL pick and Juice Scruggs in that spot, not only was that a clutch stabilizing presence for the offensive front, but Hunter Norzad has now shown he can be an all Ivy League player at tackle, a very capable starter at the Big Ten level at guard, and then a guy who can handle it and get it done at the center position. I think he's a center moving forward. I think there's room for guard there. There's no doubt about it in the NFL. But this is a guy who has the Ivy League degree, has proven it in Big Ten trenches, and has the attitude that I think NFL coaches love. There's not much nonsense around Mr. Norzad. I think one thing that we heard so much about with Hunter Norzad during his time at Penn State was his athleticism for being such for being a, a bigger guy at that position. And it seems like from some of the clips that we saw out at the Shrine Bowl, uh, that really, really showed through. Um, you know, one thing that I heard in talking to Eric Galco from the Shrine Bowl about Hunter Norzad was that he was did a very nice job from a leadership perspective in the offensive line room that you know, there were some injuries. They had to cycle some guys out, bring some guys in later in the week. Um, and Norzad was kind of the, the calming presence in that room while they were moving guys around and 
everything like that. Um, I believe the other center who was on his team got banged up. So Norzad got a ton of reps out there and was really able to impress. Um, so I think that that's something that you know, will kind of be be worth watching with him. But you know, he does strike you as someone that can go to an NFL team, you know, provide you know, some good value to them in a lot of different ways, whether that's at center or guard, um, you know, even special teams, you know, wherever he can kind of find his his niche. Um, I think that that athleticism and, and size can can help him get out there. Um, you know, one other one other thing or two other things from the Shrine Bowl. Uh, for Caden Wallace and Curtis Jacobs uh, that I'll have more on online 24 seven this week. But in uh, and, and talking about Caden Wallace, uh, Eric Galco brought up juice Scruggs that going to uh, the shrine bowl last year, you know, juice was someone who it was maybe you know, kind of floating around that third, fourth round grade, um, you know, for NFL teams, but you know, at the shrine bowl, he really caught some eyes. Um, you know, people, kind of you know learned a lot more about him saw him and then when draft day came he was the type of prospect where a team like the texans knew that they couldn't wait for him to fall that he was someone that they had to go get um, because of how his stock had moved and uh, caden wallace kind of got that same comparison where you know teams a team might really like him and he's the type of prospect where you're kind of like oh maybe we can get him in the fifth round or the sixth round but as things go on as the board shifts you know, as teams, you know, kind of teams know about him and he becomes one of the better players available, he might be someone who has helped himself where he can go a little bit earlier. Um, so I think that'll be interesting to watch. Um, and then Curtis Jacobs, you know, Mark brought up the the right situation for him. Um, and the feedback that we got from the Shrine Bowl was that if he can go in somewhere and be a fourth linebacker as a rookie where he doesn't get thrust into a starting role where he has to do a ton right away, um, that that can really, really help him because we know he has the athletic traits. But one thing that you know, he did very well at the Shrine Bowl was that um, you know, he was a sponge there, that he had a ton of questions, was doing his best to really learn what was going on, that he has a, a natural curiosity about him. You know, one of the anecdotes with Jacobs that kind of sticks out to me is, you know, I think that you know, someone kind of asked him, it was a, I don't, I don't want to call it a throwaway question, but it was just kind of like, oh, like, I saw you talking to Jack Ham once, you know, what are you, you know, what do you talk to Jack Ham about? And and Curtis was like, well, why wouldn't you talk to him? You know, he's here. Um, you know, it's Jack Ham. You know, I have a lot of questions and I want to know things from him. Um, and so I think that that was kind of a good window into who Curtis Jacobs is. And I think that that's something that is not only going to help him in these interviews, but I think it's going to help him wherever he lands. Like, I did a QA and a uh, about Penn State draft prospects with a Packers website. And I brought that up that, you know, if he goes to a, you know, a franchise that has a history, kind of like how Penn State has a history, that's something that he's really going to embrace, have genuine curiosity in. Um, and I think that that's something that kind of adds another level to him as a prospect, as a person that you're adding to your organization. There's 10 names. The last time Penn State had 10 guys drafted was two, uh, 1996. Sorry, I had to go all the way back to the last century. 1996 is the last time you saw that. And that was a pretty darn good Penn State roster was coming off of. Uh, eight guys drafted a couple years ago in 2022 is the highest mark since 1996. So we got 10 guys. We got a few more like Keaton Ellis, former starting safety 
uh, also a team captain for this uh, for Penn State. You got Trey Potts, who flashed a little bit in, in rare opportunities of running back, had a career at Minnesota before he got to campus. Uh, and then uh, Alex Falcons, who came in and, and got the job done as a place kicker after transferring in last year. Just a few other names to keep tabs on during this process. Those guys will get a chance to show what they can do at Pro Day, along with a bunch of others who come from the Penn State football program. That'll be in a matter of weeks. You can follow for the NFL scouting combine coverage with Penn State players at lines247.com in the days ahead. Daniel, Mark, appreciate the perspective, and uh, we'll find out how it shakes out for all these guys in a matter of months. Yeah, remember, we uh, we have our mock draft coming up uh, in a little while, but you yep. guys, you, you gave me a lot of hints on where you're going to go. And for people <laughs> who haven't seen it, we all guess where all the Penn State guys are going to go, and uh, it ends up being a fun piece. One last thing, though. What I love about this time is that, you know, we have to be objective when we're covering these guys, but now I can turn into a fan. I don't want to speak for you guys, but, you know, all these guys, I'll be rooting for them until and unless they're drafted by the Cowboys or Giants. Uh, but seriously, it is, it's fun to, you, you, we've covered these guys as reporters for all this time and we'll be objective through the draft process, but I wish them nothing but the best. And it's fun to kind of become a fan of these guys we've gotten to know as this process plays out. Yeah. Like Theo Johnson, Curtis Jacobs, Caden Wallace. These are guys who were on this podcast as high school seniors and they're talking about wanting to play in the NFL. And you just know how hard of a process it is to get to the league. Even yeah. if you're a top, even if you're a top 100 prospect, like Caden Wallace was, you actually have to go out and do it on a college football field over and over and over again. So I, I, it certainly is really cool on an annual basis now that we get to know so much of this roster, uh, seeing them go out the other side and and having that dream so close and, and within their grasp. And whether you get in on, as a first-round pick or as an undrafted free agent, obviously your initial bank account is going to be very different, but you, you got an open door in the league, and, and, and that's all you can really ask for right now. So uh, we'll find out what this draft class becomes. There's an early preview of what's going on, uh, and, and, and 10 big-time names to know are from this group. Daniel, Mark, appreciate it. Uh, we'll see if basketball can keep on rolling. Give us more to talk about about hoops down the road. Maybe give us something to look at in March, uh, a little postseason. Oh, look out. I, 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 I'll stop right there before we go too far down the line. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Daniel. Talk to you both soon. Thanks, Thanks Tyler. All right, good stuff from these guys. We had Brad Crawford on before them, breaking things down from a national perspective about the Big Ten and its new look for 2024 with 18 teams coast to coast. And if you missed it last week, last Thursday, we had Landon Tengwall, former Penn State offensive lineman, on for an in-depth discussion about his early retirement that was a result of concussion-related issues last August before Penn State kicked off this season. And we talked about what is in play for him now. A lot to like about Landon Tengwall's story and his journey moving forward as a Penn State student and as a guy who has big things in front of him. So if you missed that conversation, head over to our most recent episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast and give that one a listen. On behalf of our entire Lions 24-7 community, I am Tyler Donahue stepping aside for now. We'll be back with the second episode a little bit later this week. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.